a series. This is week six called Followers. Let's jump into it. This is the scripture that we've held on to from Jesus. Top of the year this year, I began to pray and ask God what my life should look like. I'm 58 this year, so I'm giving myself about another 12 years of doing this. Uh, you know, 70 years old, I'll need to pass a baton to another generation. And then I get to become a grandfather of the faith and make sure younger people run the race. So I want to do well with it. I want to, I want to do good. I don't know what Jesus will have for me then, but those are my plans of trying to work out the future. I want this legacy of this house to move forward to the other generations. So maybe it will be your children that lead this place. Maybe your child will pastor this place one day. I don't know what that looks like, but I know I want to have a good legacy. I want to do what makes the Lord proud. I want him to say, well done. So I was praying about that at the top of the year. This scripture came into my heart. This is it, Matthew 4, Jesus. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed them. I had known that scripture a long time, but when I read it this year, it it leapt out even greater. And I felt like for me and for this house that this would be the scripture for the next 10 years of our existence for another mission for another decade. And so I began to meditate on it and I thought, well, if we're going to do this, let me just try to be as thoughtful about this verse as possible. And I wrote this out. Uh, highlighted it out and I laid it into three categories. This is our mission for the next 10 years. We want to invite people to follow Jesus. We want you to grow up. In other words, we don't want you to be a baby. Quit making excuses. We got a job. This is a war, not a spa. So get over it. Dust yourself off. Grow up. Get busy. And then the third word, go. You have a mission. Everybody here is a missionary. Everybody here has something for God to do, to take the light of Jesus. The beautiful thing about this, in a few weeks, I'm going to kind of take this category and we're going to end the talk about all of this by talking about go. We've got some great things planned for you things in Atlanta, Georgia. We're teaming up with people to go. We've got an opportunity. Pastor Phil's been going to Kenya for 10 years. That door's open. We're going to be taking a trip to Kenya as well as Oswa. We've got a lot of things that we're going to be doing in this next 10 years to highlight. And in this, my daughter said to me, she said, dad, I don't know how you do what you do. And I said, well, explain it to me. She said, well, like every Sunday you have to stand up and have something new to say. Every week you have to have a different dorky joke or a different story or, and I'm like, yeah, that's true. I mean, that, you know, it's true. Uh, This is my 40th year. In 1983, I left high, graduated high school and I took off to Dallas, Texas to go to Bible college so that I could study the Bible and maybe do this. So 40 years ago this year, I took out, so I have been doing this for 40 years. For 40 years, I try to talk to people about the Bible and tell them about Jesus. And for 40 years, I have good days, bad days, happy days, some sad ones. I've I've had some failures in that 40 years. But here I sit at age 58, still in the game. Come on, somebody. Still, Still swinging a bat. Still excited about Jesus. Still love him. I got a few scars along the way that I've earned some hurts along the way that I've buried, but still in it for him. And so we were talking about that and 
I said, well, honey, it is a challenge. I said, I, I try not to, you know, bring stress into the home about it. And I try to not let people know uh, how stressful it can be. But I said, it, it is a challenge in 2023 to stand up every week and talk to people about Jesus. And because uh, my life goes like this. I'll stand up here today and share with you. And then about the time I go to lunch, my brain kicks in because I got to do this again on Wednesday. So Wednesday's deeper. So it takes more thought. And so by Sunday night, I'm already thinking Wednesday, I've got to do this again. And then on Wednesday, I go to Mexican food again afterwards. And I, there's the common denominator. <laughs> I always go to Mexican to wind down with chips and salsa because God's name, son's name is Jesus. And so I sit down. We call him Jesus, but it's Jesus. And I sit down with him and I just like, all right, I got to let it all unwind. And then on Wednesday, I start again for Sunday. And I start thinking about us and I think about this house. And, and so that's been about 40 years just Always, okay, God, I got to have something to say. And so I've landed on the next 10 years. My prayer is to always invite you to follow Jesus, to challenge you to grow up. I don't mind babies, but if you've been a baby for 12 years, grow up. It's time to get off the nipple and become an adult and eat some hard food. And then if you're just been around a long time and you're lazy, you got to get with the program. There's things to do. Everybody in the room is needed. So that's my next 10 years. Welcome to it. And I've been trying to work this out. And when she said that to me, it challenged me because I thought I never really even think about it. Like I go back to when I first started in 1983. And in 1983, how many of you believe it's a little different? And so here we are in 2023, and 40 years of preaching Jesus, I sit here in a generation that is so different from when I started. Because when I started, if you wanted to know Jesus Christ, you had to find somebody who knew him. You couldn't Google him. You had to know somebody that know him. And then if they knew him, you said, tell me about Jesus. And they took you to a Bible. And back in the eighties, there weren't 900 versions. There was about one. And it, (laughs) there he is right there. He's still in 1982. No, I'm just kidding. We love each other. But it was a King James and you sit down and you say, well, what is per adventure with us forever and all that? And, and they'd tell you. And then you had to seek them out. You had to go to their house. You had to find them and go teach me about Jesus. And, and you, if you hungered, you had to search. And if you wanted to know more, this is going to be really weird. Some of you are going to think, what? You had to go to a library. And, and in the library, if you wanted a book about Jesus, you had to go to this dude named Dewey because... <laughs> You don't know Dewey, be glad. But Dewey had a decimal system. And so if you didn't know math, you're never going to find a book. So you had to go into Dewey, and Dewey's decimal system was kept in a card catalog that was as big as this room. And you had to go and just go through drawer after drawer and dig through these little cards about this big. And you'd pick it up and go, oh, there's my book. But then there were nine floors. And your book was located at 031.422.658. And you're like, I got a clue where that's at. So then you went to a woman that existed before Google called the librarian. The librarian knew everything. She, she was Google before Google. She was Googleette. 
She knew everything. And you would walk over and you'd go, hey, I need to know where this book 031.428.64 is located. And just without even thinking, she'd go third floor, second row, eighth book on. And you're like, oh, this woman's brilliant. Then you'd go find that book. But if you wanted any quote, you had to read the whole book because you couldn't just Google a quote. You had to literally find it and then you hope somebody cheated and highlighted it before you. And the, the beautiful thing about the 80s is you could cheat and nobody knew. Because now you can. If you turn in a paper, they put it in a computer and go, dude, you lied. You stole four other papers. You're flunking. In the 80s, you could just make stuff up and act like it was you and it wasn't. It was, you know, Woodrow Walt or whatever his name was. He's like, yeah, it's brilliant. 1980s, it was different pastoring. Even the topics I preached 20 years ago so different than today. And it, and it scares me a little bit because back in the 80s and 90s when I was preaching, it was just, man, whatever you say, it's just in the moment. But now you're competing against this new world we live in. And so I decided in thinking this out, what would I say today? Because there's been something that's been on my heart for about 20 years I've never taught it because I feel like it's a little above my pay grades, but I don't like to be scared about that. I'm never scared to study harder things, but if I do study them, I want to make sure I've thought it out because I'm a human and I could get it wrong and I know that. So before I ever present it to you, I always try to make sure that I've thought it through enough that I could say I believe this is true. So this is something I've wrestled with for years. I've, I've read it and stayed away from it. And so I thought this week, I was talking with Pastor Phil. I said, man, I can't get this off my heart, this message. I said, it just keeps coming back. And he said, well, what are you going to do about it? I said, probably not preach it. I said, I, I got to work it out. And we chatted about it a little bit. And, and it just would not go away. So today I would like to share with you something that I think, in my opinion, is meaningful enough that it's caused me to pull it off the shelf of 20 years and go, I think it's time to present it to you and let you wrestle with it as I have wrestled with it. And it, it has to do with this. It has to do with this information age that we live in when we're talking about AI and artificial intelligence and sentient, can a computer become sentient? Can a, can a computer have feelings and reason? And, and there's those that say, yes, it can. Be careful. It's not going to go good. We'll, we'll you know, kind of be in the Terminator world. And then there's others. This is the best thing ever. But here we sit with this Jesus thing. And so I, I did some studying. If you want to just waste your life, Google this. It is the topic of knowledge velocity, and it is the study of how fast knowledge moves through time. So how quickly a thought or a reasoning or, or you know, some type of speculation, how quickly that can circle the globe, how fast knowledge can circle the globe. And the, the study is, it kind of sits itself into knowledge velocity. And it could be anything, anything velocity, but we're talking about the speed within which knowledge moves in our culture. Back in 1982, a book was written about this, 
And as he's studying how quickly knowledge moves, this is what he said. He came to this conclusion. In the 1900s, he said, knowledge doubled about every 100 years. So if you lived in 1800 and got to 1900, the amount of knowledge that had circled the globe would have been about double. You would double every 100 years. So it it made great light of there's not a lot of knowledge out there, and it took a while for it to get going. By 1945, which is right at the end of World War II and everybody's communicating and now we're thinking kind of global world stuff, knowledge doubled about every quarter of a century. Every 25 years, knowledge would double. And then he came out that in 1982, knowledge was doubling every 13 months. Now at this point in 1982 is when I jumped into what we call ministry. I jumped into it when there's no Google, there's no YouTube, there's no Twitter, there's no Instagram, there's no Snapchat, so go figure. I don't even know how Jesus will be known. But I didn't even know that then. I just thought I was glad to have air conditioning. There were no cell phones. I'd never even heard of a cell phone. I didn't even know what a cell phone was. There was no computer that I had then. The first computer I ever saw, my dad brought home, and it was a Macintosh computer. It was about this big. And it had a 15 megabyte floppy drive, and he bought a 20 megabyte hard drive about this big. So 35 total megabytes with a speed of two. Two mega ramp. So that means when you turn it on, it sounded like this. And you'd be typing, waiting on it to catch up with you. But it was incredible. He paid $3,700 for that. It was incredible. It was mind-blowing to see this. Like, you can actually type on a screen? How does this work? Because I had to do typewriter to type all my papers. Come on. You young people need to be glad you're alive. There's nothing worse than... Uh, white out. Thank God you're born in this generation. And if you were in love during this time, you had to stay in the kitchen for four hours connected to the wall. Because you couldn't go anywhere to talk to each other. You just had to stay. And then somebody got the brilliant idea, hey, we could make a cord 50 feet long. You were still connected to the kitchen, but you were in the den. And that, that, that was a sign of wealth. When you could sit on the den and watch TV while you're connected. And we thought that was brilliant. The cord would hang down the wall and then wrap up around the floor. It's like, oh man, we're wealthy. This is incredible. 1982. I jumped in and thought, I want to tell people about Jesus. And at that time, knowledge is doubling about every 13 months. Fast forward 40 years. Anybody want to guess what happened the year after this? The internet. In 1983, the internet is birthed. You young people have no clue what this feels like. WWW, I'd never heard that. WWW, if you're Pentecostal, WWW meant 666. The Antichrist is coming. And we were told, no, it's, it's World Wide Web. What, what do you mean, World Wide Web? No, like you can connect to everybody at any time around the world. 
well, what are you talking about? Like, I can connect with people like in China, anywhere in the world. How do we do it? Well, you go to www, type that in, dot whatever. What do you mean dot? Like a period. Yes, period, then whatever. And back then, the only whatever was AOL. You go to AOL. What's AOL? It's America Online. What is that? It's a group of people that are all there together. You can talk from people from Germany. My mind is blown. I can't even fathom what they're talking about. And then, ooh, you've got mail. Oh my God, I can, I can send a letter at a touch of a finger? We were rejoicing. You don't even have to have a stamp. This is amazing. 1983 was probably the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of the world because in 1983, we went from doubling every 13 months to this. Now, knowledge doubles, uh-oh, knowledge doubles every 12 hours. There is so much information and so much computer, computer technology today, AI, chat GPT, so much that is available. There's more information, more capability on my phone than the rocket that supposedly went to the moon. On my phone. So that means right now in 12 hours, the information that is available to you right now is doubling every 12 hours. So whatever you think you know right now, 12 hours later, the information of the whole world doubles itself. It's, it's astounding. So it makes me think we have to compete against this. Who can keep up with this? And then when you throw this in, this archaic 2,000-year-old man named Jesus Christ who lived when there was no computers and no Google. He drove a camel. He lived in the Middle East. He's got no LinkedIn. He's got nothing. He shows up on the scene and says, follow me. I'll make you something. And now I have to take that archaic 2,000-year-old message and I've got to bring that into this generation. And i got to tell this generation, it's important. You need to know him. Yet you know Jesus. Do you know who Jesus is? It's important that you know him to a generation that is inundated with knowledge. Inundated with knowledge. More knowledge at their fingertips than you could even scratch your nose at in a lifetime. And so the question when I'm talking to my daughter, this is what Paul will say. He said, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. But what I'm praying, Ephesians 1, 16 and 17, is that God will give you wisdom and insight and that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Even 2,000 years ago, Paul has got, you got to know God more. You got to know God. You got to have a better thought. He'll say this in the book of Colossians chapter one. So now watch this earnest. I'm not stopped praying for you. But what I'm praying is that you have a complete knowledge of his will. Oh, they had no Google back then. You couldn't Google who he was. You had to know him and the way you knew him, you either met him or you met somebody else that met him. And you sat down and said, teach me. 
And so Paul is writing these letters going, man, I never stopped praying for you. This is what he says about himself in the book of Philippians chapter three. Everything is worthless when I compare it. And in these words to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, I discard everything else is worthless. This man wrote this 2000 years ago. Was he thinking about our generation? Because in our generation, when's the last time we prayed? I infinitely and earnestly pray that you would know Jesus. That is the, the, just my heart is exploding that you might know him. Because if I go back to the 80s, I go, I know what that's like, meaning you got to find somebody. You got to know they know him. And then they take you to some old book called the Bible and you have to sit at their feet and go, teach me, teach me. I want to know. So I know what it feels like, but for our generation, when's the last time we prayed, I pray you infinitely would know who God is. Because what it does for us, and in theory, what it does for us, it brings us to ask the question to this technological crazy generation. The question is still the same. Do you know him? Except if you don't, you would have to be a dummy. In America, in a technology age, how could you not know Jesus? I sat at my desk and this is what I Googled. I Googled, who was Jesus? And the first little ad that popped up, Jews for Jesus. Who was Jesus? Have you ever met the real Jesus? And I'm thinking, well, Wow, my very first ad. But that's not what blew my mind. What blew my mind in 0.53 seconds, 9 million or 957 million results in less than a half a second. I didn't have to go to the library, the Dewey Decimal System. I didn't have to find Ed, find me a King James Bible and try to understand it. Where's the church? In a half a second. I got 957 million results on who was Jesus. And you don't know him? You can scroll. I scrolled on my phone forever. Who was Jesus? He was this. He was a prophet. He was a lunatic. He thinks he's God. He was a Christian. No, he was Catholic. Was he Catholic? Was he Christian? Like, if you want to know anything, Google it. You want to know who Jesus is? Google it. The problem with this, of what this gentleman says doing the research, he said the more and the quicker knowledge moves through humanity and it begins to exponentially double every 12 hours, he said the problem with this is we get so much knowledge, the threat of becoming idiots is great. You have so much knowledge that you're stupid. Literally. Somebody said to me the other day, hey, Pastor Mark, did you know Satan had a, a wife? I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I'm thinking, I've been doing this for 40 years. He's got a wife. I never knew he had a wife. He go, I said, no, not really. He said, Google it. <laughs> I Googled it. He had a wife. I'm like, oh, my God, his name was Lilith. Oh, geez. I don't know if it's biblical, but Google said it. 
Google, hey, Pastor Mark, what? Did you know that the Nephilim of the Bible are held in Antarctica in caves? I didn't know that. Google it. I Googled it. It's true. All the devils are kept in Antarctica. I don't know if the Bible teaches that, but Google told me that. I mean, it's just mind-blowing what Google can do for us today. Did you know that the devil and Jesus were brothers? What? Google it. Oh, God. I've never read that in the Bible. Oh, my Lord. The devil and Jesus were brothers. It's not biblical, but it's on Google. Like, if you don't know something today, are you dumb? All I got to do is type in, how do fat people get rid of donuts? And it'll be millions of ways a fat person can quit eating donuts. So if you can't quit eating donuts, Google it. If you don't know where to go to church, Google it. There'll be a billion churches. We're in a generation today that is so smart, we're dumb. I just Googled who's Jesus. 957 million results. So I thought, well, I'm going to have fun. I am ADD, so let's have fun. At least they tell me I am. I don't think I am. I rebuke it. So I went to the first question. I typed who is Jesus. And so I went to the first question, was Jesus a real person? So I Googled that. Was he a real person? And then it asked me, is he real and does he really exist? And I'm like, this is fun. I could do this forever. But again, the problem became in 0.51 seconds, 891 million results popped up on whether he was real or not. 891 million results in 5.51 seconds. Come on, somebody. This makes my head hurt. I'm thinking to know Jesus. When I was a kid, you had to hunt him down. And in 0.5 seconds, I can have 891 million topics to browse? Doesn't mean they're all true, but come on, we're not lacking knowledge. And my Lord, 891 million results of what Jesus is a real person. Look at our culture and go, and we're just as dumb as we've ever been. And knowledge is just exuding out of us. So maybe he was right that the increase of knowledge has caused the hardening of the heart. Because if you really wanted to know Jesus, come on. Can women preach in church? Google it, they'll tell you. What do you believe about speaking in tongues? Google it. Anything you want to know today, Google it. It may show you truth, it may show you lies, weird people, aliens, who knows. But knowledge exists. And every single week, I or somebody else or you has to stand up and I decided if there was that and I read one article an hour for the rest of my life, it would take me 101,000 years to read 891 million results. If I just decided I'm going to start today and I'm going to go through every article that is shown here And I'm going to take one hour just to study it, just to think about it, because it would take a while. I just want to think about it. I don't want to brush through it. If I did it per second, if I did one every second, 
It would take me about 10,300 years. If I read one article every second on who is Jesus, was he a real person, was he? It would take me over 10,000. The moral of the story is there's so much knowledge out there about Jesus, you could spend the rest of your life every day and never sleep and never even halfway exhaust everything that's out there now. And yet you wonder if it's all out there now, why isn't there a revolution? Why is there not a revival happening? Why are churches half empty? If there's this much knowledge about the person that said he was God, if there's this much information out there, I just gave you two. If there's just that much information about Jesus, there's so much information about him, I could study every hour on the hour. It would take me 101,000 years just to get through one topic. So if we don't know him, it's probably our fault because he's definitely knowable if you're just talking knowledge. And if we're just talking knowledge, then why is our American culture going down the toilet so fast? Because we're not a generation that needs more knowledge. We're a generation that needs an encounter with a real God. Not more knowledge. We don't need more knowledge. There's plenty of it out there. And so this began to just where I'm telling you that God's begun to lead me over 20 years of thinking it through, this becomes the, the kind of the catalyst of what I mean. And so I come to this thinking to ask you a question, do you really know Jesus? Because if you don't in America, well, why? Why wouldn't you know him? Google him. I want to know if he's real. Well, Google it. It'll give you about... 891 million articles to read if he's real or not. If, if you really wanted to know knowledge. And the challenge becomes this, and I think it's interesting. Here's the challenge. Are we even asking the right question? What if this question is not even what we're supposed to be asking people? Do you know Jesus, Ron? Do you know Jesus, Umar? And then we answer, oh, yeah, I mean, I know him. Tell me about him. Okay, well, he, like he says, he's God, and he'll forgive you of your sins. And then we start spouting off knowledge. But what if the whole time in a generation of knowledge, we're asking the wrong question, do you know Jesus? Because this is what Paul says in the book of Galatians, verse 8, Galatians 4. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that don't even exist. So verse 9, now that you know God, or, parentheses, should I say, now that God knows you. And tucked away in this scripture was something that started blowing my mind, because I like to talk about me knowing God, but I don't like when you ask back, does he know me? Because that bothers my theological head. Because my theological head goes, yes, he knows me. Because God knows everything. He knows all. And if he knows all, then he knows me. So this shouldn't even be a question because God is all-knowing. And if God is all-knowing, then of course he knows me. So it's no big deal. So let's move on to another topic. And I would, 20 years, move on to another topic. But this never goes away. But does God know me? I can Google him. But if in the eternal realm they say, do you know Mark? Does he Google me? 
Does he know me because he's just God? And therefore he knows me? Because now I start going, all right, this is where I feel like it's a little above my pay grade, but I'm going to dive in and I'm going to dig this thing out. And I did. I've been digging it a long time. And so now here goes. I dig it out. And maybe this is the question we should be asking is, does Jesus know me? Because this flips a lot of religiosity on its head. Because I can easily ask you, do you know Jesus? And you can respond, yeah, I grew up in church. Yeah, I got saved when I was five. Yeah, I go to First Baptist. Yeah, I go to Believers. Do you know Jesus? Yeah, my grandmama, man, she gave me a Bible. Yes, I have a Bible study. I lead a small group. I serve on a team. Yes, yes, and yes. But if we flip it and turn around, and I ask you right now, as honest as I can be, if I ask you right now, but do you believe Jesus knows you? Now, I'm going to answer off the cuff. Yeah, he's God. He knows everything. And then I feel better. I keep eating my pizza and go, I feel good. Of course he knows me. I even quote scripture. He knew me in my mother's belly. And I go, okay, but if you want to fight that, that wasn't to you. That was to Jeremiah. He knew Jeremiah in his mother's belly. But that didn't mean he knew you in your mother's belly. Now we get really weird. So what do we do? We Google it. Did God know me in my mother's belly? Mark said, maybe not. 891 million results. You'll spend the rest of your life trying to determine, does God know you in your mother's womb? So my quest today is, does Jesus know me? Because when I read it, I didn't like it. But it took me back to Jesus rather than asking some preacher, does he know me? And asking myself if he knows me. I went back to Jesus' own words, and this is what he will say in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone. Oh, no. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord. Meaning, Jesus even lets us know there will be people who know him. They got his title right, Lord, Lord, with an exclamation. They got the title right. So they know him. So Jesus even intimates that people will know him. He said, if they call out Lord, Lord, not everybody that does that is going to get into the kingdom of heaven though. Only those who actually do the will of my father. So now Jesus just messes the whole thing up. So wait a minute, you mean it's not about me knowing Jesus? No, not really. It's about him knowing you. Because it's going to be a messed up day when you get up there and, and he's like, uh, yeah, you're, it's not everybody, Mark. Well, I mean, I thought you loved all of us. Yeah, I mean, I do love all of you. That's part of it. But you Google that and I do love you. But I tried to tell you not everyone. But, 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 so we keep reading and the but, but, but is on judgment day, Jesus says. So now he pushes me to something way into my future. He takes me out of the present moment of knowing all the things about him. So now he's moved me out of the Google world and he shoots me into the eternal world and says, not everybody's going to say to me, Lord, Lord. He said, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. So now he tells me not only do they know him and they know the knowledge of him like they literally 
try to believe that they have a relationship with him. Like I'm doing all this great stuff. I go to church. I read my Bible. I don't smoke weed. I, I don't vape. I, I don't, I don't listen to bad music. Well, Taylor Swift, but I, I mean, I'm, you know, typical. I'm, I, I do pretty good. I, I mean, I go to church. I go to believers. I don't want to go. My mom makes me, but I still go. And at least she takes me to believers where that preacher's funny because he's kind of weird and he makes me laugh sometimes. So it's worth it. And I kind of like it. And I don't Snapchat naked pictures to people. I mean, I'm pretty good. And then I get up there. And when I get up there, some things start happening because look at verse 23. But I'm going to reply, I never knew you. Okay, okay. What? You have to know me, you're God. Yeah, I know you like that and I know you Google me and I know you say you know me, but one day you'll stand in front of me and what if I look at you, Mark, and go, but I never knew you. And then theologically, I go, but you had to know me. You're the eternal God that knows all things. And he got, yeah, well, appreciate that, but you're wrong. I don't know you. And this is the verse I've wrestled with for 20 years. How could an eternal, all-knowing God admit he doesn't even know me? In this section right here, you may know him. You may know the scriptures. You may know the Bible. You may know the scriptures and the Bible. You may sing the Psalms and the hymns. You may go to Bethel and Elevation and watch all the videos and share everything. Everything you do. But at the end of it all, to stand in front of that God that you've given your soul to. And he goes, I just don't even know you. What? I prophesied in your name. Demons came out in your name. I, I did. T- I, even, I prayed over my Mexican food in your name. I made my kids pray before they ate their grits. I said, you better say your prayers. And now you ditch me? You don't know me? He said, well, get away from me because you break my laws. So I went deeper. I found out, what do you mean break your laws? And this is what it means. Anomia. It's a condition of living like there's no law over your life. It's the condition of being ignorant of it. Ignorance is no excuse. This is what Jesus is telling us. It's the condition of violating my law. It's the condition of showing contempt for my law. So you may call me all the right things, Mark, Lord, Master, Savior, Jesus. You may sing all the right songs, Mark, all the things. I'm a good, good father. Yes, thank you. I know I am. You may do all of that, Mark. But if you keep living as if there's no expectation from me, if you keep acting that you can be ignorant of what I want from you, If you keep violating the things you know to do, but you do them anyway. If you snub your nose at my holiness and think that you can just keep keep living like an asinine, sorry, no good person, and I'm just going to overlook you. So I read that and I think, how many people know Jesus but live with contempt? Oh, they know Jesus, but well, they also know porn, but you know, I mean, I struggle. I struggle with it. You don't struggle with porn. You're showing contempt. 
because you keep on struggling because you're violating finding freedom. And the reason you're violating finding freedom is you're trying to act ignorant that you could find the freedom and you just want to say, well, it's me and it's a struggle. How about sleeping around before you get married? How about shacking up having sex? Well, you know, I mean, we do love each other. Great. I'm glad you love each other. Google, can two Christians have sex before they get married? Google it. Million responses. Who cares what Google says? His law says if you fornicate, you don't make it into the inheritance. So you're out there just having a jolly old time with your lover, excusing yourself because you're in love. And well, you know, we kind of get tempted a little bit. And, And in your knowledge, you know him. But if I flip it and go, now, come on, but does he know you? Because if you keep showing contempt for him, violating him, living like you don't even know him, well, then maybe he doesn't know you even though you know him. Maybe you just think you're in the family and you're not. Snapping your junk on Snap and then it goes away five seconds later just because your nude picture went away. And you're in church what? You, you think just because you came to church that, that he knows you now? And the church is filled with professing people that have knowledge, but they still have anger, bitterness, hatred, lust, perversions, all kind of sinful behavior that we tolerate and show contempt for and ignorance for and still violate and go, but I love him. And I go, I know you do. I'm not asking, do you love him and do you know him? I'm asking, does he know you? Because if you keep living this way, it appears that the answer is, yeah, I don't know you. You may pray to me and talk to me, but you're not part of my family. You have a different father than I have because you're not doing the will of my father. I'm glad you're giddy about me, Mark, but you're not doing the will of my father. And if you don't do the will of my father, I don't know you. And yet it's hard to teach this because it sounds so rough to us. It sounds rough and almost judgmental to ask the question, does God know you? That is so above my pay grade that to ask, does God know me? So I thought, well, if I'm going to teach it, what do I do? So I went back to the words of Jesus. And I asked myself a question sitting in my office, 40 years worth of preaching. And I asked myself, does he know me? I hope he does. I think he does. Hey, Jesus, it's me, Mark. I don't want to be here. Who? I feel like he knows me. Does he know me? Because the way it read, it's like you you would think he does and then get there and realize he doesn't. So I don't want to be deceived. So I thought, well, should I Google it? Because I could get a weird answer. So instead of Googling it, I went to the Bible, which often is a better option. (laughs) Takes a little longer, but it wasn't 0.5 seconds to find it. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus' words. Not Google, just Jesus. The Jesus that said, I I don't know you. And that's a possibility. Here's what he says in Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. 
I know all the things you do. What? Wait, you know all the things I do? Even the secret thoughts and the, Mark, I know everything you do. Never think that I don't have the knowledge. I have the knowledge. It's why I told you humans to stay away from that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I tried to keep you away from knowledge because knowledge has perverted you. And now you live in a generation where knowledge is exponentially increasing because you humans chose the tree of knowledge. And now you think that knowledge is the answer. It's not the answer. I told you in the beginning before there was Google, stay away from the tree of knowledge. You bit it and now you have Google and all the knowledge of the world at your fingertips and you're no better. You have the knowledge of the world at your fingertips and you're no better people than the day you chose to do what you did to deny the will of my father. So let's not pretend I don't know. I do know. I know all the things that you do and you do have a reputation of being alive, Mark. Everybody around you goes, oh, he's such a good dude. Oh, man, I love him. Oh, he's so sweet. He's so kind. I love the way he teaches. He's a good daddy. He's a good husband. You have a reputation, but I'm about to let you know what I think about you. I think you're dead. What? Like right now, if Jesus assessed you, I don't care what all your friends think. I don't care what your parents think, your wife or husband, you. If he looked at you and he assessed the depth of your soul, Do you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead? He goes on to say this, wake up! That's not a Baptist preacher scaring you out of hell. That's not a Pentecostal going, you know, hell's hot, so wake up. This is Jesus. Jesus is screaming, wake up! Why? He's that desperate. Strengthen what little remains, verse 2. For even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions don't meet the requirements of God. Oh, he's watching us. And when my actions don't meet what God requires, then maybe it's not about him, me knowing him, but it's about him saying, yeah, if you don't meet the requirements, I don't know you. I don't know you. Is he wrong for that? You don't even, your actions don't even meet what God requires and you won't wake up. So if you're not going to wake up and you're going to do you anyway and just act like you know me and we're all cool with this. Yeah, don't be mad when I say I don't know who you are. He goes on to say this, verse three, go back to what you heard and believed at first and hold to it firmly. Now he starts telling me how I know I can be known by him. Repent. And turn to me again. And if you don't wake up, I mean, he even gives a warning like like it's optional, like it's your choice. It's not his choice. It's your choice. If you don't wake up, I mean, I'm screaming it, wake up. But if you don't, well, if you don't wake up, I'll come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. If you don't wake up, is it my fault? If you get taken by surprise when you hit the eternal road and I tell you I don't know you, are you going to be surprised? Are you going to start quoting scripture, telling me all the vacation Bible school stories that you know, thinking that that's going to impress me? Are you going to get up there and Google me when you get up there? 
Because when you stand in front of me, Mark, it's not going to be whether you know me. It's going to be whether I know you. And the way I know you, you will have repented and you will wake up and you will start doing what I require of your life. Whether you like it or not, whether you Google it or not, whether the world thinks it's woke or not, whether the world thinks it's narrow-minded and bigoted or not, you do what my will tells you to do, and you don't worry what other people think. And if you will do that, Mark, watch what he says will happen. There's some of you in the church that have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5, we conclude it. And all who are victorious will be clothed in wine and I'll never erase their name from the book of life. Oh, I love this phrase. This makes my heart happy. But I will announce him before my father and his angels. You're mine. Well, that, there it is right there. He wrote it for you. He said, are you nervous? Because this is what I couldn't put together. How could you not know me? And I'm nervous. Like, I want you to know me. And he's like, Mark, stay with me here, man. You're right. It needs to make you a little nervous that I wouldn't know you. But I'm not leaving you hanging, boy. I'm going to tell you how you can be certain that when you stand in front of me, I'm going to look at my father and go, that boy right there belongs to me. He's my kid. I know him. His name is Charles Mark Evans, born on April 23, 1965. He's my kid. Come on in, son. Not because I did all the right things. I pretended. I had all the right tattoos. I had all the right t-shirts. I went to the right church reading the right Bible. It's because I came to a place where I repented and started walking with him. I repented. I wanted to sleep around, but I can't. I wanted to have sex before marriage, but I'm not. I met my beautiful bride in 1990, 89. I proposed to her. We fell in love. Oh, like, like I would see her in my hair. Not a lot. Would stand up like my, my hair on my arms. I'm like, oh God, she's gorgeous. And the first time she kissed me, I literally felt angels. Oh, oh my God. I didn't feel holy at all. I thought, I just want to have sex with her. That, but I, I wasn't even thinking godly. I, I was just thinking, this woman, but, but, but I'm Pentecostal. You'll go to hell if you have sex before marriage. Like, and so we sat down and we go, okay, we love each other, right? Yep, we do. All right, here's what we got to do. Whew. We got to get to the wedding day. And we can't do this thing until our wedding day. Are you good? I'm good. Okay, I'm not, but I think I can make it. <laughs> but if you'll help me, I mean, I love Jesus, but I do love you too. And I know I got a reputation, but when you're in the room, my reputation flies out the door. And, and I'm not blaming the devil, but I'm just saying you and him working on me. I, just, I said, well, you'll help me. I can get there. And she did. And because we loved God, it wasn't that I was some holy, righteous guy that didn't want to sleep with the woman I loved. It's because she and I both knew the righteous requirements of God are more important than what we feel. I don't mind having a beer. I'll go out with my bride and sometimes I'll have a beer with her or a friend that offers one. But I also know it's the righteous requirement of God that if I'm drunk... I've disappointed him and I'm in sin. Amen. 
and I have to hold the righteous requirement of God. Otherwise, I'll be loving Jesus, getting drunk on Friday night, going, oh, I just need a little buzz here, man, to take the edge off. And even though I know him and I read my Bible and I got a reputation, he's looking at me going, son, you've missed my requirement. You're playing with things here. You're playing with things, Mark. You're, you forgot my requirements. I don't take drunk people. Well, it's just a little lie. I mean, I don't lie a lot, but I did throw the white lie out there because I didn't want to get, okay, I appreciate the white lie. Like that's better than any other color lie. But I want you to know this. You think it's a white lie. I'm telling you, anybody who lies is worthy of the lake of fire and you will not inherit my kingdom. Well, I mean, I know I just, I I had a bill due, but I didn't pay that bill and I owed somebody some money and I didn't and I lied to get a little bit back on my taxes. Okay, Mark, I appreciate that, but a greedy person will not inherit my kingdom. So I'm glad you know me and you're still greedy, but that ain't how it works, Mark. Well, I mean, I love Jesus. I do dabble with porn. I mean, I've struggled with porn a lot, but I mean, I'm in a free zone right now. It's been like, I mean, it's been a while. It's been like two days, man. I'm free for two days. All right, good, Mark. I'm glad, but this thing, you keep going back to the pornography, acting like you love me and going back and giving yourself, come on, son. You've lost my righteous requirements. You're showing contempt for me. You're violating what I want out of you. But in my mind, I'm like, but I know Jesus. I know Jesus. I leave you with this thought. Wake up. I'm going to ask the band to come. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Bow your head if you would. Close your eyes. Don't leave the building yet. It's not over. It's a moment for you to wake up. And by that, I mean, does Jesus know you? Does your life show that he would know you? Are you living the righteous requirements of him? Have you repented and said, it's not me, Jesus, it's you? Have you died to yourself? Oh, you can Google him. Anything you want to know about him, you can Google him. You can even Google Google what did Jesus look like and there'll be all kind of pictures of what they think. You can Google, was the tomb of Jesus real? You can Google anything you want and the information will astound you. But today, in an information world, in a world where at your fingertips is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, at the world where if you push a button, you can know more in an instant than any generation has ever known prior to you. And yet our hearts are still dark. Our actions are still perverse. We still violate his ways. We still skirt the issue of living godly. We make excuses of how we can get away with what we do by simply saying the right word, Lord, Lord, in your name, in your name. And yet I leave you, will you wake up and ask, but does he know me? In front of you today are communion tables. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and ask you to come. And as you come, I want you to ask, does he know me? Have I lived a life that if I stood in front of him, I would have done the will of God? That I would have said yes to Jesus and died to myself and I would walk with him. Are you walking with him right now? He says, I know your actions. I know everything. Are you walking with him right now?
If you're not, it's simple. He said it, repent. That means do a 180, an about face. Stop doing what you're doing. Quit. If you're doing it.